So what happens next? Not a question, a statement. What happens next? What has always been must be again. So this is our story, Luke 24 and then Acts 1 and 2. This is our story. Not only our history, may it be our reality. The people of God remember one of the most common refrains throughout the scriptures, the call from God to his people and then from, the, from his leaders to the people is to remember, to recall who our God is and what he has done. We're, we're meant to be a people of remembrance and therefore of rejoicing because our God has not changed. What has been will be again, perhaps even at our lowest moments, full of doubt, fear, uncertainty, Maybe we've even stopped praying for a miracle, let alone anticipating one. Perhaps that's the moment when Jesus will show up by his grace and his mercy. He is that good. A model is set for us by the first followers of Jesus. It's a pattern, and whenever we see patterns or models in Scripture, we we need to say what is appropriate for us in application today Often our posture is more important than the pattern that is set. Sometimes those overlap, and I believe they do in the model set for us in the early disciples of Jesus following his resurrection as they gathered, as they waited, and as their hope grew, and then they were empowered by the filling of the Spirit at that Pentecost. Before that happened, while there was just a rumor that the tomb was empty, not even that Jesus had risen, though that started to to come later, but that the tomb was empty. And we know that the lie that was pervasively spread was the body has been stolen. So now this rumor is stirring of the empty tomb. Still no anticipation of the resurrection, though Jesus had proclaimed it, had foretold it multiple times to his disciples. There's this wonder. There's this uncertainty. Clearly, there's, there's division. The disciples are scattered. There's doubts abounding. There's fear, even, of what could happen to them being associated with Jesus if, after all, they put Jesus to death. So this is the moment. This is what's happening. That's the moment that Jesus shows up. And begins to reveal and to make himself known. In the midst of this division and doubt, discouragement and fear. Perhaps we can resonate with that. Jesus, show up in our midst. He appears to them. He pursues them while they're not pursuing him. He restores their hope. He forgives their desertion. He unifies their heart. He clarifies their mission. And he instructs them to wait upon the filling of the Holy Spirit. Luke tells this in Luke 24 and then continuing his next letter, Acts 1 and 2. And I've invited us or called us to immerse ourselves in this story for these upcoming weeks and maybe months and maybe as long as it takes before our history becomes again our reality, before we believe that, how long will that take? Will we follow in the footsteps of these first followers of Jesus who experienced the supernatural amongst them? They experience the very presence of God in Jesus and then in the Spirit. Not only were their lives transformed, but their families, their communities, and then through them, ultimately, the world was shaped anew. 
I believe that we, the American church, at least I have some perspective into that, it's only a sliver, maybe the American evangelical church, which has been obviously a large tradition throughout our recent history, recent history in the last hundred years, I believe we're at a crossroads. I believe we're at a critical moment between our past and our future, if there is to be a future. Perhaps this liminal moment is primarily filled with fear and uncertainty and anxiety. But liminal moments are meant to have hope and anticipation and expectation if we know our history. In fact, if we know our history, that would be our reality, then there should even be excitement in the midst of an uncertain time. Perhaps that describes far more than the evangelical American church or even the global church. Perhaps it's our entire world. I think we can see it in almost every place and system. We feel like we're in this transition. The pandemic, I think more than directing that or influencing that is bringing to the surface and exposing what was already in place. I think we've seen that and are seeing that in these years. Now, here we are, just a few, and I'll preach on this again probably next week. It is good that we are a few because we resonate with the God that does things in multiplication. Because when a few gather and call upon his name and wait for him, when he moves upon them to do great things in their midst, he has all the glory. It's not by our might or our strength, but by his glory. Will we believe this? Will we be a people who search the scriptures, who pray, who wait upon the Holy Spirit, who do this together? Because we are not responsible for the broader American church or global church. We're responsible for Union Hill Church. This is who we are. This gathering of believers, will we be faithful to this call, this model, this pattern that has always been true for the followers of Jesus in times of uncertainty, in times of doubt, in times of questioning, wondering if it's even possible that Jesus would show up, that a miracle could happen, that the Holy Spirit would come Will we be faithful to this model of searching the scriptures, really learning how to pray, and practicing the discipline of waiting upon the Spirit? And will we do this together? There's a reason that we've turned toward one another. It's intentional. There's a reason we're trying to create a space that is more intimate to seek him together when we gather on Sundays, to come around the table here, to come around the tables of our homes, to break bread together to commune with one another and invite the presence of the Spirit. Will we pray, Jesus, come. Remind us of these regular rhythms of your people that are not just our history, but may they be our reality. May your presence and your word burn within us as it did for your first followers following your resurrection. This is how he chose to reveal himself to these disciples through his presence and through his word. So returning to Luke 24, we read it in its entirety a couple weeks ago, almost in its entirety. 
I'll call out a few passages again. If you were not with us a couple weeks ago, you can get your devices or your Bibles. Hopefully they're already open to Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, that being the day of the resurrection of Jesus, that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with one another about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them right alongside, but they were kept from recognizing him. So he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened these days? What things, Jesus asked. Now pause there. How would they tell the story? Did Jesus not know what things better than anyone? He gives them the invitation to tell the gospel. What things? How will you tell it? What will be the way? Giving them opportunity. What will we say? How will we tell the gospel? What things? Uh, they reveal a little bit of their, their ignorance here, perhaps their lack of faith. They mention that he was, this man was a prophet, a pow powerful in word and deed. What an understatement. Then they kind of skip ahead. I think there was more to say on his life. We spent two years saying a few things. But they skip ahead to his arrest, his crucifixion. This is pre pressing upon their minds. The empty tomb, the wondering. But that was their recent history. And Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them for missing the bigness of their story. This is what they were living in. He says to them, verse 25, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? You read, you read and you hear that. You, you are surprised at what's happened. But it should have been clear. And Jesus was not saying just clear from the things that he had said. Prophesying of his death and resurrection. But he is pointing to the bigger story. The entirety of their scriptures. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I don't know where he picked them up on the seven-mile road, but that sounds like a Bible study that would have lasted days. Somehow Jesus was able to explain to them throughout all the scriptures. Certainly, that doesn't mean in totality, but the emphasis here is pretty amazing. Reminding them, and therefore us, thank you, Luke, that we are a part of something that God has been doing for a long, long time, pursuing his people to rescue, to redeem, to reconcile, to remain with his people forever. He was reminding them on that road of their history, which they thought they knew, but he opened their eyes to see it anew. How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe, to see. Would their history of centuries and millennia past become their reality? Will their eyes be opened? Will ours? From that amazing, greatest Bible study of all history, time and moment, forward, they must have searched the scriptures with whole new eyes to see Jesus, will we? 
Have we lost sight of the bigness of the story that God has invited us into? Does our memory only reach back years or maybe even decades? How narrow-minded. Jesus was really teaching something remarkable here that I'm not even sure many Bible students today fully grasp and receive. Now, he's referring to the scriptures. Luke is speaking of the scriptures. So when we have our Bibles today, probably most of the ones that are in your hands or the devices that you have, they're labeled Old Testament and New Testament. Terrible labels. Just scratch them out. I was, I was talking with a, a rabbi friend of mine that said, that if, there was, if there's maybe one thing toward the top of the list that I would like uh, Christians to change in their language, it's the term Old Testament. It's offensive to us. Because old is not as good as new. These are the Hebrew scriptures, written mostly in the Hebrew language. He invited us to use the term first, Testament, if we would, if we believe in this second testament of the Lord that we call the New Testament, to use that kind of language, which gives honor to the history, which is ours. It's our story. Jesus said it was. Besides, Jesus said to see the Hebrew Scriptures with new eyes. There was no New Testament, as we would say, or Second Testament, Greek and Aramaic Scriptures, which we have those probably, for most of us, the last 27 books, the Gospels, the Acts, and many of the letters of Paul. That was not what Luke would have been referring to. This was still being written, much of it not yet written. So when Jesus was teaching the disciples the Scriptures, he was teaching them the Hebrew Scriptures, beginning with Moses. Moses, by saying Moses, would say most of, at least the first five books, if not more of the history was attributed to Moses and all of the prophets, which is one way of saying everything in its totality. He doubles down on this in verse 44. This is later when he starts to reveal himself to them at the table. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus had been teaching this way with his disciples for years. They're slow to see it and slow to grasp it, which gives us hope. But by saying Moses, all the prophets, and the Psalms. It means the totality of what we would call the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus is saying that he is written on every page, in every story. It's all about him. He's the fulfillment of it. He brings it its full meaning. You can only otherwise grasp it in part without seeing through the lens of Jesus. This is what he was opening their minds to. The Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, High Priest forever, written on every page, finding its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, if you were a Jewish boy, you were raised on these scriptures. In fact, you would have, would have had large portions memorized. Day by day, you would have been reciting and memorizing, sometimes even books, what we would call books, of the Hebrew scriptures. Pretty amazing and startling, maybe even affronting to hear from Jesus that while you know it, you never really understood it. You never really grasped it. If you're willing and you are humble, 
How eager would you have been to go back through now and see what Jesus was talking about? See how everything ultimately is about him. He'd been teaching his disciples this way consistently. We see another example of that in John. In John 5, 39, he says, you search the scriptures, speaking to the Jewish uh, gathering with, with him, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Just pretty radical claims by Jesus. No wonder it was an affront to the Jews. They would have heard that as blasphemous, the kinds of things that Jesus was claiming. Now, we don't have time today. This could be an entire sermon or a series. We could flip to almost every page, every book, every story of the Hebrew Scriptures, essentially, and find a path pretty directly to Jesus. There's different ways to do that. Perhaps a law or a promise that is written that ultimately Jesus fulfills, gives perfect meaning to, because there's much law and prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures. Perhaps we see a story, more of a narrative, of a person that serves as a type for Jesus. Now, they might have been ignorant to the fact that they were a type of anything, but for us, we see a type throughout the stories told by these ancient leaders and peoples that much of the scriptures are about because there is no perfect leader, deliverer, ruler, judge, priest, prophet, king. Every one of them falls short. They serve as a type of the greater yet to come, fulfilled in Jesus. Perhaps we see a story of sin and brokenness, a story of the way the world should not be, the way the community of God's people should not be. And it leaves us longing, just as we look into our world today and see sin and brokenness, and this is not what it ought to be. It leaves us longing for healing, for reconciliation, for redemption, for renewal, and Jesus provides the fulfillment of that. Some passages of Scripture, you have to get out the shovel and the pick and mind the gems out. Others, you simply have to hold up to see their beauty. I remember hearing how a Christian missionary was arrested uh, in Jerusalem decades ago, thrown into prison for distributing Christian literature publicly, openly, when in fact all he was distributing was portions of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 specifically. He probably had something to do with the fulfillment of the Messiah, but that's what he was distributing There's some passages of Scripture that now that we see, have our eyes open to Jesus, are clearly about Him. Others we have to mind to find the path and the story. This is why I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've raised our kids on that because every story points forward to Jesus, the healer, the redeemer, the king of kings, the one who truly loves and expresses God's love. Jack Klumpenhauer wrote a book, Show Them Jesus, written to Sunday school teachers. If you've never read that book, Maybe you don't see yourself as a Sunday school teacher. Read that book, and you will see yourself as a Sunday school teacher, uh, and it will help transform the way you communicate, especially if you have children. Jack Klumpenhauer, show them Jesus. Very accessible. May we always, forever, be people who search the Scriptures with eyes to see Jesus as the fulfillment of all. This is what Jesus taught us to do. 
Paul believed it, 2 Corinthians 2.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. So through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. Do we search the scriptures this way? It will transform the way that we engage scripture. I think we do this well. I said this a few weeks ago. Following this pattern and this model of these early disciples who searched the scriptures, but now with new eyes, who prayed and who waited for the Holy Spirit and who did this together. Of those, I think the history of Union Hill Church has done pretty well, passing great, on searching the scriptures. It's been, a, it's been my passion and commitment. I wonder, though, if we need the same intentionality, discipline, and desire to pray, to wait upon the Spirit, and to be devoted to one another in that process. While not abandoning the searching of the Scriptures, I want to invite us and call us, urge us to follow this pattern of the early disciples. Today, though, maybe we just need the reminder. If you don't read the scriptures this way, praying for new eyes with an eagerness to see Jesus on every page, through the Hebrew scriptures, to know our history, to see that God hasn't changed, so may it be our reality, then I'm inviting us, I'm calling us to that regular rhythm because God still speaks through his word to open our eyes to his presence in our todays. I think some of us simply read scripture to learn something new about God, to learn how to be more righteous or holy, to see how the story fits together, maybe picking up some Bible trivia along the way. Others of us probably read just to check off that box of daily reading devotional. And while there may be good in that, Jesus is revealing that the whole story is about him. It's about the presence of God with us. Jesus reveals the scriptures to us. The scriptures reveal more of who Jesus is, that we would commune with him, that we would see the bigness of the story, that we would pray, open our eyes and our minds to understand if you don't have a regular reading plan, we still, many of us are, are following along with, uh, with God daily. It's a daily devotional, has daily readings. Uh, we still have some accounts that we could pass on to you. Uh, I've followed for years the Moravian text, which I think some of you are probably familiar with. Uh, one and a half to two million uh, believers in, I think, 60 or more countries now and languages around the world read the same text every day for, for hundreds of years. I, I love that thought, being one of the, the later time zones on the globe, even if I'm up early, which I often am, reading the scriptures, to think that a couple million people have poured themselves into the same text and the same prayer, the same story, before I did that day, within those previous 12 hours or so, is pretty amazing. I resonate with that. It reminds me of the bigness. So if you don't have a regular reading plan, it puts you into the, the Hebrew scriptures, it puts you into the Greek scriptures, it has a daily text and prayer, and it often is trying to teach a, a theme or a doctrine. But it's very accessible, 
It could take five to ten minutes or longer if you pour over it or spend some time with it. The Moravian text. If you searched Moravian text, you would find it. Uh, that you can get a, a hard copy publication or you can do it on your device. I am urging us to be people who search the scriptures for Jesus. To know him, to dwell with him, to walk with him, to encourage one another. This should come into our life group gatherings. Here's what I believe God is revealing and, and teaching to me. What are you seeing? That we would be iron sharpening iron and encouraging one another. To be clear again, the scriptures point us to Jesus, really not the other way around, although they reveal Jesus. He is the beginning and the end of the story. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 32, Luke 24, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts burned within them because Jesus was with them. Not because he was opening the scriptures. The scriptures revealed more of him. But their hearts burned because he was with them. And they were hearing his voice. And that is our desire. God, give us greater insight. Help us to see and understand the scriptures more clearly. But be with us and burn within us. May this be our desire. Jesus, show up. Remind us of our history. Make it our reality. Walk with us now. Reveal your word and your will. Now, renew our hope. Open our eyes as we search the scriptures and point us toward our future that you are already standing in. Two quick things as we close. Remember, it's a good desire to experience the tangible, manifest presence of God and his spirit. That is a good desire to draw near as we wait upon him. We continue to search the scriptures. May our hearts burn within us. That burning would be a manifest presence. There's no, there's no end or limit or definition, ultimately, to the manifest presence of God. While God is unchanging, he is infinitely creative. In the moment... Whatever the burning of the Spirit was for these disciples, they weren't thrown to the ground by it. They didn't even voice it in that moment. They said later, we're not, our, there was something powerful, wasn't there? We're, we knew it. We should have known it. We should have experienced it more. We, our eyes weren't even open to Jesus. We were unaware. We weren't looking for him. We weren't seeking him. But our hearts burned. This is learning the discernment of the Spirit. I would guess that if we went around and gave some kind of testimony of those, those times where we knew God was with us, there would be much of this similar testimony. In the moment, I knew something was, was unique and happening, but at, in reflection, in looking back, that was a holy moment. That was a special moment. Lord, may we be more discerning in the present moment as you burn within us. Each one of us might describe a different sensation. That's still a manifest presence of God. It may not be in a miraculous sign and wonder. Though we join our history believing that our God does those things and is not limited, has not stopped. So longing for the presence of God, longing to experience him, to know him, to see him is a good desire. Moses prayed this, Exodus 33 as he drew closer and closer to God, 33, Exodus 33, 18, God, show me your glory. 
He came to a point where he wanted to see and experience even more of his God, Yahweh. And the Lord, Yahweh, said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. His name is is rich and full. This is just a sliver of it. But his glory would pass before Moses. God loved to answer that prayer. Now he did say, you, you cannot see me. I'm too holy. No one can look upon me and live, so I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand upon you, and I will pass by that you will know my glory. You'll experience my presence. God loves to make himself known. That is his desire. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, he also at times will conceal for his own glory, that that too is his glory, to conceal, to make us long for thirsty and hungry for more of his presence. So it is a good thing. Returning to the road, pretty amazing. These disciples were not even looking for Jesus and he came to them and burned within them. That can be a prayer for us. God, as we go through the regular rhythms and movements of our life, when in that moment we're not consciously seeking you, looking for you, praying to you, we set aside these other moments of our day to, 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 to do that, but then life happens and in the moment, We're not practicing the presence of God as Brother Lawrence taught us to do. Washing the dishes, doing the chores, going through our movements, on our commute. I don't know how conscious you are of the presence of God, of seeking him daily, consistently. I don't often. I want to more and more. So this gives me hope. This is our desire. Here we are, Lord, praying that as we go through the regular rhythms of our life, not even looking for you, maybe even in doubt, not even expecting or believing in a miracle, come to us. Come overwhelm us, burn within us, and help us to see and know that you are with us in that moment. It is a good longing for the manifest presence of the Spirit. As we come together, because here we are, I, I believe, I hope, seeking him, desiring to commune with him today. May that be our heart. God, meet us in your manifest presence that we would know you. It may be through a, a sense of overwhelming peace, or love in the midst of the chaos of our life or the hurt or the pain or just the unsettledness that we see. He may bring us a supernatural peace in his presence. It may not knock us to the floor. But God, have your way and your will within us. May we not miss the significance of the presence of God. It may not be in an overwhelming way. It may be in these subtle ways, through open scriptures, through a conversation we have today or with a stranger this week. It may be as we come to the bread and the cup today, which we've done hundreds of times, but he may bring that sense of his presence through peace or through love or through joy. May we be discerning in the moment as we receive. May we be faithful to walk with him and pursue him. May we be faithful to see him in the scriptures this week. Maybe these will be the signs and the wonders that will transform us little by little. Maybe we'll have to look back to grasp how significant the seasons were. I've heard from some of you, you look back on the time in field church and say how significant that was. When in the moment, we were all longing for something else, for it to pass, to return, and perhaps missed 
the very work that God was doing at the time. Jesus, open our eyes and our hearts to see, to truly see, to burn within us that we might delight in your presence and your goodness. Teach us to discern your presence today and in the days to come. Invite Catherine and David and Brett to come to create this space for us. I'm going to pray again the prayer from A.W. Tozer, the end of chapter one of the pursuit of God, which I prayed a couple weeks ago for us. It continues to resonate for me. Perhaps it will for you. Make it your own as you hear it anew or hear it again, and then I'll lead us to the table. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. Then give me grace to rise, to follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen.